Hey, good morning, good morning. I hope you guys are doing great. Hope all is well. God is working in your life in a mighty way. Well, we started a new series. It's called Buckle Up, Strap In, like get ready, brace yourself kind of a thought here. And uh, it's, it's based on, this sermon is based on the truly, truly statements that Jesus makes to the disciples, to the crowd, and to us. Last week, last week, if you remember, we were talking about this truly, truly statement of Jesus when he said, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is a powerful statement. Jesus saying, you aren't going to go to heaven. You aren't going to be in heaven. You can't even enter the kingdom of God, adults, if you don't change and take on this like childlike humility and purity and innocence. And so I wonder uh, this morning, how are we going to do that? How are we going to pull that off? How can we do that? I hope you've thought about that this week. Like, how am I going to, on a day-to-day -day basis throughout the week, in my dealings with people, how am I going to become more like a child, to be more like Jesus, so that I can truly see the kingdom of heaven? It's well worth trying to figure out. It's well worth us praying about and thinking about. And I hope that you will. Take time to think about that. Well, today we're in John chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, go to John chapter 6. We're going to spend most of our time there. And in John chapter 6, the, the crowd this time, the crowd comes to Jesus and they ask him a question. It says this, when they found him, Jesus, on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, it seems like a good question, right? Rabbi, when did you get here? Like, we were expecting you. Uh, we were with you not long ago. Uh, we're now on this side of the lake. We're in Capernaum, and we were with you over on the other side of the lake, over near the wilderness. And now we're here, and we knew you were coming. But when did you get here? It's like It seems like a pretty easy question, uh, an amazing question that, that they asked Jesus because they're just curious, maybe, uh, of when Jesus got here. And it's interesting that in the Bible, questions always lead to a profound truth. Whenever somebody asks a question, it, it, it kind of means, one, they're ready to listen. No questions, they're not ready to listen. You raise your hand and you ask a question, now you're going to listen because you want to know something, right? And so a lot of times Jesus waits for people to ask a question and then he knows they're truly ready for an answer and he gives them the answer. And that's good for you and me. Like when we ask questions to God and we say, God, not, not God, why did you let this happen? Those kind of questions, even though we feel that way at times. But when we ask God to guide our steps or to show us what decision to make, God, help me to, um, to do whatever it is. We're asking God to come in. To, we're asking him a question. We're seeking his advice. We're seeking God's direction. And, and God wants us to be right there in that place, asking him so that he can then reveal it to us at some point over the next few days or weeks or maybe months. But if we don't ask, we're not ready to really listen. So I encourage you, ask God the questions. But they say, when they find Jesus, they say, Rabbi, when did you get here? And so... When the people find Jesus on the other side of the lake, they're, 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 they're anxious to be around Jesus again. 
They, they want to be around Jesus. And the reason that they want to be around Jesus and the reason they want to know when did you get here in their minds is one thing. And Jesus is going to see right through them and he knows exactly why it is they're asking him, when did you get here, Jesus? And that's what's going to happen as the story unfolds. And so we're going to back up in chapter uh, 6, verse 1. It's really the, the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus goes over on the other side of the lake. The disciples go with him. And then this big crowd of people comes. And there's thousands of people. And Jesus spends the day teaching them. Let's check out the story. Sometime after Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because... They saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. So already they see these cool things that Jesus is doing. Verse 3, then Jesus went up onto the mountain and he sat down with his disciples and the Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up, he sees this great crowd coming toward him and he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already knew or already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered, it would take more than half year's wages to buy enough bread for everyone just to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among all these people or among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there, plus women and children, right? Jesus then took the loaves. He gave thanks. He distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they had had, had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. And so they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of barley, five barley loaves left over and those who had eaten from those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is a prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again into the mountain by himself. And so there's this amazing story of Jesus going on the other side of the lake, the people coming, the disciples are there, and Jesus feeds them lunch because he knew they were probably hungry by now. And so he feeds them some food. He sends them away and they go and the disciples get into a boat and they head to the other side of the lake as well. And so the crowd's headed back to Capernaum. The disciples are headed back to Capernaum. And Jesus goes up into the hills and he spends some time praying there. And then the next thing that happens is Jesus, in the next verses, verses 16 to 24, Jesus comes walking to them on the water. Remember the story of the storm? Uh, the storm comes up, the waves are high, Peter walks on water, and there's this amazing story uh, that happens when, after Jesus releases them all back to the other side of the lake. Well, Jesus lands in Capernaum with the disciples, and according to verse 24, the crowd is searching for them, searching for Jesus. And verse 25, when they found Jesus, our verse, they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? See, up to this moment, everything seems fairly innocent. Like he fed them food, 
He sent them away. He's now in Capernaum. They're looking for Jesus. They're like, you know, they love being around Jesus. They just love being around Jesus, right? He's like the miracle working rabbi. And so they find him and they say, Rabbi, when did you get here? Seems like a very innocent, childlike, very nice kind of request or thought. Jesus, when did you get here? But something else is going on. And what's happening really is that they're fishing. They're fishing for information. They're fishing for something else. They're not saying what that is. They're only inquiring as to when Jesus got there. But Jesus knows that something else is up. And in verse 26, Jesus says, Verily, verily, I, I tell you. And this is our, our buckle-up statement that Jesus is going to make. He says, they ask, Jesus, when did you get here? See it? Jesus, when did you get here? Seems like an innocent question. And Jesus then says, very truly, I tell you. And he's basically saying to them, you know, I know what you guys are up to. And he says this, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs that I performed, not because of the healings or the teachings, not because... I claim to be the Messiah and I'm giving you proof and evidence that I am the Messiah and the Christ, the Savior of the world. You're not seeking me for those things. You're seeking me because you ate the loaves and your belly is full. That's why you're seeking me is because you had your fill. And it's like, oh no, we are like we're busted. Like we, we want something more out of Jesus, but we're not going to say it. But now he knows what it is and we didn't even say it. And they know that they are busted. But, you know, in their minds, those, those croissants, you know, the, those croissants were so flaky. And the, the fish was just like smoked to perfection. We love this food truck you got going on here, Jesus. That's where their mind is. See, if they would have been excited to see Jesus because of his teachings and because of the signs and the evidence of who he was... They, they would have been fine. They would have been good to go. There would be no issue here. And Jesus knows their thoughts. And Jesus always knows our thoughts. And they stand there before Jesus exposed, completely exposed. He knows exactly what is going on in their heart and their mind. And he knows exactly what is going on in your heart and my heart and mind as well. He knows us better than we know us. In all of the excitement of Jesus's power and miracles, they were missing the most important thing. They were missing the most important truth. And you and I will miss it as well if we aren't careful. Verse 27 to 29, Jesus kind of speaks more about the food and the bread and why they're messed up in their thinking. And he says this, do not work for food that spoils. Now we all have jobs, right? We go out and work. And why do we do that? We go out and we work to get a paycheck to buy groceries so we can feed our kids and our family. So Jesus isn't saying quit your job and stay home and starve to death. That, that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's going to compare two things one that is extremely important, the other is just temporarily important. And they are putting the wrong thing first. 
They're seeking the wrong thing. And so he says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And then they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And so they finally ask a good question, right? We get a lot of, a lot of crazy questions in the Bible, doesn't happen very often that a good question is asked, but once in a while one is. And they're like, Jesus said, what do we need to do the works that the Father requires? What is it that we need to do? We're kind of confused about this issue. And then Jesus answers them, the work of God is this. No, the work of God is this. To believe in the one that he has sent. You want to do the work of God? You get both eyes, both ears, your mouth, and your body focused on Jesus. That's what you do. You get your whole body in line with Jesus. That's the greatest work you can do on the earth is get yourself in line with God. Not divided among the world and God. Not chasing after the things of the world, working so hard for the stuff of the world that doesn't really matter. But you get yourself lined up with God first and you seek him first and everything else will be added to you. You trust the one who came to do the real work. And notice he says work, not works. Because Jesus came to do a lot of things, but they are all the work of God. They're one thing. They're one thing that God sent Jesus here to do. He came to save sinners and to complete his father's work. Yes, he did. He came here not to condemn the world, but to save the world. That's why he came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Not to do his own will, but the will of him who sent him. And he came here to perfect the faith that he also authored. See, it's all tied up in one big package, the work of God. Jesus came here to do the work of God. And too many times what we try to do is earn our way to heaven by doing lots of different things. We try to buy our way to heaven by being really nice or or, or doing things that we should do, but for the wrong reason. Or we rely on our merits to get into heaven. Like we think we can earn it somehow. And Jesus says, here's the work of God. You believe. Believe in the one that he sent. Trust his work. Place your faith in him because he is quite enough. He says the word believe. He says believe in the one that God has sent. That's the work of God. You believe in the one that he has sent. And this word believe is a big word. It's not like I believe that the sky is blue, okay? That's just a, a, an intellectual uh, acknowledgement that I believe that the sky is blue. That's nice. I didn't do anything for the sky to be blue, and I didn't do anything to, to uh, come to the conclusion that it is blue. I just looked at it, and I, I could see color, and so I, I believe that the sky is blue. That is totally different, that kind of belief, than biblical belief. 
Biblical belief is far more than that. Biblical belief has to do with our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. Biblical belief is all of us, our whole being believing in God. It's the intellectual understanding and the decision of our will to believe in Jesus. It's our heart completely surrendered to God. Do you truly love God? It's our life of faith and obedience in God. See, all of this together is what biblical belief is. And this is the only work that truly matters. That we put Jesus above everything else, that he, the person, is the most important thing that we believe in and trust in. He as a person, not a thing. But Jesus, the person, is first in our life. But see, they're not convinced of this, they people back then. They have seen healings, they have seen miracles. He just walked on water, they probably heard about that. He's been doing all kinds of radical and crazy, outlandish, miraculous things, but they still aren't convinced. And so in verse 30, they ask for a sign. They're like, well, uh, Jesus, like Moses, back in the day, Moses ate manna in the wilderness and he gave the people bread from heaven. Like, like Jesus, that's what Moses did. What, 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 what will you do for us, Jesus? What are you gonna do to show us that you know, you're from God or that you came from heaven? Or that you have the authority to say, Moses gave us manna. What are you gonna do? How will you, Jesus, wow us? which is very interesting because he's been doing nothing but wowing them. With five loaves, two fish, he feeds 5,000 plus women and children. They forgot about that already. He was healing people in Capernaum before that event. They've forgotten about that already, right? And, and he walked on water just a minute ago and so did Peter, but they maybe dismissed that if they even heard about it. I just can't help but think, like, what's wrong with us? Like, time and time again, God does miracles and wonders in our life. He gives us things that we cry out for and ask for. And then two days later, we're still saying, God, what have you done for me lately? Like, God, I'm not sure again. When he did the good thing for us, we were positive. We were sure. Thank you, God. You're awesome. You're wonderful. But now a week has gone by and our feeble minds, our human minds, we forget all that. And it's like, God, what have you done for me now? And uh, we just get really thick headed and we keep digging the hole deeper. And that's kind of what they're doing. And Jesus says then to them another truly, truly statement in verse 32. He says, first of all, if you're looking at your Bibles, he says this basically, I'm gonna kind of summarize. He goes, first of all, it wasn't Moses who gave you the manna, it was my father. And furthermore, the bread of Moses was like temporary. It was temporary bread. It just filled their stomach for a few hours and they got hungry again. True bread, Jesus says, doesn't just fill the stomach, but true bread gives life to the world. And to this they say, oh, really? We want some of that. We want some of this continual bread that gives life to the world. 
Like they're like, give us some more of that. See in verse 34, it's kind of getting real sad, but they say, sir, always give us this bread. It's a continual action. It's like evermore, give us this bread more and more and more and more. This is, it's kind of odd what's going on here. They're, they call him sir now, not rabbi, not good teacher. Uh, back on the other side of the, uh, river, uh, the uh, lake, it was prophet. Now it's sir, and sir is, could be uh, interpreted in the Greek as Lord. And so maybe they've stepped up. They're, they're showing more respect to Jesus, and they call him sir or Lord. And it's interesting that, that, that they want Jesus, and, and this is their true heart coming out now. This is what, what Jesus knew they were thinking before they really came out and said any of it. But like, give us this continual bread. Like, like Moses did in the wilderness, they woke up, they gathered the bread, they ate. Jesus, can you do that again? Like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Can you just keep giving us food so we don't have to work for it or do anything for it? But they're just not understanding what Jesus is getting at when he says that he is the bread of life. Like, like... How many times have you tried to understand or uh, explain something to somebody and they just aren't getting it? Or maybe you're on the receiving end. Somebody's trying to explain some of this. You're like, what are you talking about? Like, are you speaking Greek? Like, what are you saying? I don't, I don't even understand. I'm trying to explain how to do something or something on a map or on the phone. Or, and they're just not getting it at all. In verse 35, sir, they said, verse 34, always give us this bread. In verse 35, Jesus declared to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. After all the miracles, after who I claimed I am and shown you with proof and signs, you still don't believe. You still don't get it. They're stuck. These people are not getting it and they're stuck. I'm, next book that I'm working on right now is called Making the Shift. And this is exactly what I'm talking about. They are not making the shift. They're not making the shift from the physical to the spiritual. They're not making the shift from the religious to the relationship. They are not making the shift. And there's a lot of Christian people who are stuck on the physical things of religion and have never made the shift to the things that are most spiritual and most important. Primarily to Jesus, who everything, everything points to. They haven't made the shift and they're not making the shift. And from a conversational perspective, as we think about this, the crowd is just not getting it. What, what's happening is they're stuck on their free lunch. They went to the other side, they got a free lunch, and now they're stuck on a free lunch, and they're trying to think, how can we get this free lunch every day? Like the woman at the well in John chapter 4, remember Jesus came to her, and he was talking to her about living water, and then she said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't have to get thirsty and have to keep coming to draw water from this well. And she wasn't getting it either. She didn't make the shift. Jesus is talking about spiritual water. She's stuck on physical water. Jesus is talking about a spiritual bread and they're still stuck on the, the bread they ate over in the wilderness when he fed the 5,000. 
And if you notice, the crowd's missing it. If you notice even more, the Jews are missing it too. And they're not very happy along the way. In verse 40, Jesus says, My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up at the last days. Now, to the crowd, Jesus had to speak one way because many of them were not Jews. They didn't understand the Old Testament. But to the Jews, Jesus could speak about things that they knew in the past about Moses and the prophets and the law. And so Jesus says something to them here that's really kind of interesting in these words. Verse 40. Do you see it? They got it. You know they got it. He says, my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son... And believes in him will be will have eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. See what Jesus is referencing here is when Moses held up the bronze serpent and everybody who had been bitten by a serpent if they looked at the bronze serpent they would be healed they would not die and Jesus is saying remember Moses when I am lifted up if if anybody will look up at me if you will look to me you will be completely healed you believe in me, you will have eternal life. See, Moses was just a likened to Jesus. And Jesus is now saying the real is here. And if you look at the Son of God, you will have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. See, the Jews got this reference. And they're not happy about it. He says, I will raise you up at the last day. Jesus alone has had the power to raise people up at the last day because he is the resurrection and he is the life. And in verse 41, at this, the Jews there began to grumble because that's what the Jews typically did when it came to listening to Jesus. They grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they're grumbling about Jesus because he understood these words right here, I am. They understood that Jesus is saying to them, I have come down from heaven. I am God. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. And anyone who believes in me will have eternal life. And they don't like the fact that Jesus is saying that he is I am. This statement, I am, is a huge statement because it defines all of that what God is. See, God can't say any one thing about who he is because he's that and so much more. I am glory. Yes, God is glory, but he's so much more. I am the resurrection of life. Yes, he is, but he's so much more. I am the truth, but yes, he is, but he's so much more. And so there's nothing that can define God. There's not a set of things that can define God. And so in the Old Testament, God would say, I am that I am. I am it all. All things hold together because of God. And so when Jesus says, I am, they know exactly what Jesus is saying, and they are grumbling about it. In verse 42, they said, is not this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? See, they are still stuck on the physical things. They should know everything about the Christ and the Messiah from the Old Testament, but they don't know anything at all. And in verse 43, Jesus says, stop grumbling among yourselves. And what Jesus does is he points out that he is the bread that came down from heaven, if you're looking at those verses. And then he goes to a whole nother level as the passage unfolds about him being the bread of life. And he's going to say something like this. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. 
unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. He's going to tell them that truth. And this is going to blow their minds. And they're going to grumble more. And some of them are going to walk away from Jesus because of him speaking the truth that directly. And so the crowd is hung up on the food that they ate. And the Jews are hung up on the claims that Jesus is making. And then there's just one big truth from all of this truly, truly statement that Jesus makes that really matters the most. There's just one thing that Jesus is trying to get them to see and they're not seeing it. And anybody who is seen, uh, he, he's trying to give them this truth and they're not seeing it even though it's right in front of their face. Like he's right there before them. And they're distracted by all the other things. They're not seeing the one thing that matters most. And the thing of it is, is this, that if we, if we aren't careful, we could miss the most important thing as well. Like if we don't buckle up and listen closely and focus our attention on Jesus, we will miss it just like they did. In fact, there's people all over the world that are Christian people that are going to churches that are missing Jesus. They're caught up in all the religious things and the, the mysterious things and the works of the Spirit and all these crazy things. They're missing Jesus. They're hung up on spirit things, but they're missing the Son of God. Kind of like, like this picture. Like Hebrew, the Hebrew text is a crazy text, but if you look at this picture, it kind of looks kind of bizarre, right? It's hard to see anything there. But let me bring it into a little more focus here. Now you some of you might begin to see what's here, and if you've seen this thing before, you know what's here. But when you're looking at the gray things, the letters. It's hard to see anything, right? Lots of different, just figures. Let me show you one more picture and see if you get it now. And if you look at the white, if you look at the white, you begin to see the word Jesus. You begin to see Jesus. And see, that's, that's, the, that's the, the problem. We can become very distracted at the details, the red, all the things around Jesus, we can get really distracted on the details and totally not see Jesus. People do it all the time. We get really distracted on religious things and Christian things and good things, wonderful things, many of them. But if we miss Jesus, we have missed the most important part of it all. See, when you go searching for Jesus, seek the true God food. Seek the true God food, right? Don't get hung up on the things that he does. Don't get hung up on the things of the flesh. Don't get hung up on relics of religion. When you come, come looking for the person of Jesus. The one that the Father has put his stamp of seal of approval on. The one who not only gives bread, but is the bread of life. 
Come looking for Jesus, not because you see his mighty works at hand, and, and not because of the great things that he does, or because you ate the loaves and you had your fill of food that is only going to spoil. Seek the food that endures to eternal life. Four, the bread of God is the bread that comes, that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. See, true food, the true God food, is Jesus himself, the person of Jesus. He is the heart of worship. He is the living word of God. He alone is salvation. And if you do not put your faith and trust in him like a child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. See, one of the biggest traps of the devil, one of the greatest traps of the devil is not sex, drugs, and rock and roll, although he uses those things to lead many away. His greatest weapon, his greatest weapon on people, especially Christians, is that we could be so close to Jesus and yet so very far away. That we could really, really love the things of God but completely neglect the Son of God. See, this buckle up moment of Jesus is another firm warning to, to the people and to the world. We see it over again in the scriptures, right? Esau, who traded his birthright for a bowl of soup. Over and over again, Israel saw the mighty hand in the works of God and yet continued to rebel and sin against God. The rich young ruler who clung to his wealth and Judas who missed Jesus miserably. And even Peter wavered with acceptance and with fear. Romans chapter 1 says that they exchanged the truth of God for created things. The wide road that leads to destruction is filled with good people who do good things but simply miss Jesus, the Savior of the world. And there are many who did not miss Jesus. There are so many in the scripture that did not miss Jesus. You think about Zacchaeus, you think about the Roman centurion, Nicodemus, and many others. Hebrews chapter 11 is full of the faithful who had Jesus and held on to Jesus to the bitter end. Let us be among those who don't miss God's son. Let us readjust our view and get it back on the one who is most important, Jesus. Come to Jesus, the person of Jesus, not the blessings of Jesus. And buckle up. And buckle up. Buckle up. Verse 26 says, Very truly I tell you, buckle up. You are looking for me, not because you saw the signs that I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Brothers and sisters, we need to buckle up and listen in, lean in and listen closely to what Jesus just said. Father, help us to listen closely to what Jesus is telling the crowd, what he's telling his disciples, and today what he's telling us. 
Help us not to get lost in the things of God, but to get lost in the Son of God. Help us to believe with all of our heart that you are exactly who you said you are, so that we might have eternal life in you. God, we love you so much. Help us. Help us to seek you with everything in us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. God bless you guys and have a great, great week.